0: Welcome to the Women's Health Podcast. I'm Marika Hart from Herosphere.
1: And I'm Anthony Lowe, the Physio Detective. Together we interview leading authorities, answer questions and share our thoughts to provide the general public with the best quality information we can find on all aspects of women's health. Please remember that our materials and content on this podcast are intended as general information and for entertainment purposes only.
0: They are not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Now it's time to get cracking with the episode. So whether you're out walking your dog, driving the kids to school, or just sitting back, enjoying a glass of wine, we hope you enjoy the show.
1: Hey everybody, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Women's Health Podcast. And we've got Gronya Donnelly from Absolute Physio in Northern Ireland, and Marika Hart uh, from Harrisville dynamic strength physio in Perth, and we've got uh, Elaine Stevenson, who's helping to take the show notes and compile the information for us, who's um, helping us out from Biotherapy Reading Room. So Grenier, uh tell us a little bit about yourself and, and where your passions are, and, um, and ease us into this topic of diastasis and what, what you'd love to get out there as a message.
2: Okay. Um, so thanks for introducing me, Anthony. Um, I'm Grania Donnelly. I'm a physiotherapist working in both private practice and the National Health Service over here in Northern Ireland. So I'm actually the advanced physiotherapist and team lead for my um, local health trust. And I work alongside my physiotherapy husband, physiotherapist husband um, in our private clinic. Um, my big passion is pelvic health, and that's all things pelvic health, from pelvic floor, abdominal muscles, pre-postnatal, And along with that, diastasis is a huge topic. Uh, I got interested in it about eight to 10 years ago um, when I was fascinated by clients coming in complaining of a weak core and this mommy tummy. And I suppose the medical world didn't seem to really acknowledge it or understand it. And when I went searching about it, there was very little in terms of research out there. Thankfully, we're a wee bit further on, but we have a lot of work to do in it. Um, and what the main message that I want to get out there is physiotherapists have a role to play in diastasis, and we need to, I suppose, increase our voice in terms of that.
1: That's great. That's great. I, I totally agree. We definitely need to make our mark um, out there, and we have so much to offer, um, what what are some of the what are some of the common characteristics or what are some of the common themes that you're hearing from clients that that you wish they could have before they come in to see you and um, things that could that could get clarified um, before they even come in and see us um, to find out about what we can do.
2: Just even more understanding of what diastasis is, um, it's quite a fearful condition for many women when they don't understand um, that I suppose some degree of separation is absolutely normal in pregnancy. So I think we need to increase our awareness and start to break the fear and I suppose misinformation that's out there. I suppose uh, the diastasis basically is separation of the rectus abdominis muscle bellies. And so that's the six pack um, muscles that go um, down our abdomen. Some of us have more definition than others, but um, the linea alba is the connective tissue in the center of that. And during pregnancy, that's there for a reason. Um, Some degree of give is absolutely normal in it. And it's been demonstrated in the research that 100% of women do demonstrate diastasis at 35 weeks gestation. However, it's only really an issue if it doesn't resolve and if it's significant enough to compromise the function of the abdominal wall.
0: Awesome, thank you. Sorry, I took a little bit of a time to unmute myself last time, and Anthony just, he's he's quicker off the mark than me. (laughs) I just want to ask (laughs) a lot of people who, who self-refer and sometimes they do have really significant diastases and I can, you know, pretty much put my whole, my whole hand in there and they, they will have quite a lot of, um, you know, functional deficits as a result of that. But I will also get women who will come in who literally have like maybe one, one finger separation and they're, they're terrified of this and they think it's abnormal. Um, So just, I have, I guess I have two questions. If you don't mind answering these ones is um, do you find most people are self referring to you or are they coming via other means? And um, how do you describe, how would I say, um, how do you know if a diastasis is sort of significant enough to warrant treatment?
2: Okay. Well, First of all, yes, many of the women who come self-refare, both um, NHS and private, it seems to be the women flagging this up to their care providers in order to get referred. It, it still, to me, is something that isn't established enough within our medical system for for people to be getting and the health professional identifying it. So many women, because of the wonderful thing that's the internet, it's both wonderful and it can be a detriment, but um, because of the internet, many women are figuring out they have it and asking for a referral. Uh, In terms of what's significant, that's a great question and a question I still think we've a lot of work to do on because we still have quite a lack of consensus about what is diastasis, how do you diagnose it in terms of parameters. However, my experience would be that it's not just about the gap, as I hope we're all starting to realize, it's about a lot more than that. Um, and really, it's about the function of the abdominal wall and the tension across that lineal alba. So to me, if someone has a separation, but they're able to transfer a load across the lineal alba without doming or sinking or sort of compensatory strategies that aren't in um, any anyway, I suppose, negative to what they're doing, I don't think that's necessarily significant. But like you, I get a lot of women with less than a finger with gap coming in and they're obsessing over the gap and they're feeling it regularly. Again, I think a lot of that comes down to beliefs behind diastasis and the association with aesthetics because they think that if they have this one finger with separation that they're going to have, um, I suppose, a mommy tummy or develop a mommy tummy. So I think that that's a huge thing and we think we need to be really getting better information out there in terms of that.
0: I think that's a really good point because I do um, I I do think sort of 10 years ago, most of us weren't even talking about diastasis, right? Like I certainly wasn't. Um, Maybe we covered it in undergrad. I don't actually remember. I certainly didn't cover it in in postgraduate studies in the musculoskeletal uh, physio world. And I think we've, we've sort of, well, I, I myself, and Grannie, I'd love to hear your journey with diastasis. But I kind of went from being ignorant about it to being, oh my God, how did I not know about this? I have to fix everyone, and it's a disaster. You know what I mean? And then I've kind of come back to that, that sort of middle, middle ground where it's like, calm down, it's, it's actually most people, often with a small diastasis, and um, like you say, if they're loading well and there's no bulging and they, and and they're able to function and do the things that they want to do. Um, so I kind of feel like I've been on this bit of a journey of like ignorance and then cast- catastrophization and then coming back in the middle somewhere. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your journey with diastasis and how you first heard about it and where you went to, Where you went from? Yes,
2: well, I've been on quite a journey too, Marika. I think, I think everybody has with diastasis and certainly everybody should have because there was no research out there and the research has bit by bit trickled through. Um, When I started Googling diastasis, first of all, nobody local to me knew anything about it. They knew what the terminology diastasis recti meant, but it was just something that women got, and that was part of pregnancy, and that was it. So I started to, as I say, research it a bit myself, and this is where my bugbear comes in because I think as physiotherapists, we need to step up a bit more and increase our game because we know, Marika... I follow you's, I know that you's know that we have a huge role to play with these clients. Um, however, when I was Googling, it wasn't so much physiotherapy coming up in the top of the rankings. It was very much um, programs and prescriptive programs, like I'm sure you've heard of the Toppler technique. We went over to New York and I actually trained with Julie Toppler, which was the starting point of, I suppose, my diocese journey and something that I don't regret because um, it really opened the floodgates to referrals, um, which is a wee bit... Um, We've bit sad to say that as physiotherapists, people aren't finding us first of all. They're Googling, they're finding online programmes, they're they're contacting experts or they're contacting key people who they're following across the world who's then signposting them to me. And that was a huge eye opener to me because we need to be doing more. Like I was there, I, I was a physiotherapist. I have lots of skills to offer. People should have been finding me anyway. I never so um, via my experience
0: connection on the other side. Oh, of-
2: <laughs> I know, but but it was just the fact that that gave me the opportunity to see quite a consistent caseload of diastasis referrals at a time when diastasis wasn't really that, uh, I suppose, accepted or something that was being referred to physiotherapy that often. So I got a lot of experience with these clients and was able to develop my skills and start to see correlations and find findings that I was finding consistently happening with these clients. And then, um, basically, um, Marika, me, and you have talked before in the past about Diane Lee and how uh, she's been a wonderful researcher and influencer in the Diasis world. And um, I think at one stage you were talking about organising a course somewhere with her, and I was like, keep me informed. Oh uh, we were going to all, all fly to um, Vancouver. Yeah, we were all thinking to do that. So she came yeah. to London um, a couple of summers ago, and I went over and did her course there. And again, it was wonderful because it's her research that has really transformed and progressed what, how we think about diastasis in terms of it not being about the gap and about there being much more considerations in terms of the tension of the linealba and the depth of it so um, and what I'm doing now is hopefully this time next year I will be undertaking my own small-scale feasibility study as part of my master's to investigate I suppose the impact of low pressure fitness or hyperpresses versus conventional rehab we have to decide what conventional rehab is. It's very hard to do a research study when I tend to individualize my treatment for every client. So how do you then do a standard prescriptive? Oh, that, that's going to stress me out, but we're going to do it um, and hopefully, hopefully it will provide us some information. Is low pressure fitness a big thing where you are?
1: It's... I
0: think most of us are aware of it, but I don't know about you, Anthony. I don't know many people in Perth that do it.
1: There's one person in Sydney that I know of that's affiliated with, um, I don't know if it's low-pressure fitness or hyperpressives or, you know, because there was this whole branch-off thing. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's not...
2: Oh, they're different? I think they were uh, the same. They're the same. So they the same technique, more or less. They're just two different...
1: Organisations. So do you,
0: do you use low-pressure fitness?
2: No. No, i know. I've no um I've no I've no awareness about it at all I'm not a trainer I don't use it at all I have attended uh we've had an in-service or like we've had a speaker from low pressure fitness come to our um obstetric and gyne clinical interest group um, it's something that Makes huge claims. Um, it it fixes everything in terms of women's health. There's no need for women's health if if you if you do low pressure fitness. So it intrigued me because the, when I started to look into it, there was no research. So I had to do a study. I thought that'd be quite interesting. So it's more just out of pure interest to see um, what it has to offer. So I won't be doing anything to do with the hyperpressive arm of it. I, I I'll have so a hyperpressive teacher doing that. my my physiotherapy arm and how we how we make it reflect as, as, as it should.
1: Yeah. I, I did a, um, I did a podcast, a different podcast with Tristan in, um, from low pressure yeah. fitness in the UK and, uh, Oh, sorry. In the, in Canada, sorry, not UK. So, um, that might be something worthwhile looking up. Uh, if you're interested in, in the low pressure fitness side of things, and we were talking about a whole bunch of concepts, but, um, Certainly, it seems like different groups make different sorts of claims depending on who you're speaking to, and um, you know, th- there's a lot <laughs> that we could talk about and yeah. go down the rabbit hole in. But um, you know, uh, what what I'm interested in is um, is in that time, you see. So my history was that I was fortunate enough to have Diane Lee come out in two thousand and five. I went to her, to her Adelaide course. To be honest, and they, uh, her and Diane, uh, her and LJ Lee had put out a um, a postpartum, a basically a postpartum uh, program. It's very, very old now. If you go have a look at it, but you know. I remember 2007 around that time doing something with it so and you know diastasis was a part of both because of the transversus abdominis and and all the all the core works side of things so for me it's been a long time dealing with this and it's it's hard because you know after so long you you get kind of yeah it's diastasis it's very, very important to the people that are having it and I never minimize what they're going through. But from, um, from all the kerfuffle that's going on, (laughs) you know, um, it's an, it's an interesting thing. How are you finding it now that you've, you know, gone through, it's been quite a few years that you've no doubt been dealing with it. Um, how, how are you finding, um, as a physio compared to seeing what's going on in the world, how, how are you finding that mix going? Um, I'm not sure if I'm asking my question clearly.
2: Well, <laughs> do you mean in terms of the fitness industry and um, I suppose, is that what you mean, no?
1: I, I think, um, you know, when something first, when you first learn about something, it's like, oh my God, here is a nail and I have a hammer and everything is a nail. Um, you've been through it for a while now, how are you finding um, dealing with, you know, social media, fitness industry, even physios, um, you know, how are you finding navigating all of that in the big scheme of things? How, How are you finding the relevance and your own personal feelings about the topic? 'Cause I'm sure there's I'm sure we're gonna okay, keep well, peak diastasis and then there's gonna be diastasis fatigue and apathy and you know what I mean.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think that well, it's still a huge passion of mine, I suppose. Um I haven't got bored or sick of it yet, um I suppose because I feel like I've been constantly learning and developing I suppose what I do with it. I would do a lot of teaching of other professionals here in terms of diastasis and that's what I enjoy because I feel that a lot of people don't know what to do with it it scares a lot of people um and then with that you get inconsistencies of approaches which is if anything's going to induce fear in the population it's when everyone's saying different things or doing different things um in terms of women I like the fact that people are more aware of it than they were so many years ago. Ago, and I like the fact that people are coming in a little more informed about it and I'm not the first person to tell them things because again, language is so important and that's a huge issue I have with social media at present because you get so many blogs and stories and um, writings out there that are talking about uh, Abdominal muscles being, um, I suppose, t- torn apart or ripped, or and it's very fear-inducing language. Um, and I think similar to how we manage pain, we need to be addressing diastasis in the same sort of way. We all have those muscles. We all have that connective tissue. It's no different than any other area of the body that can have variations in how it presents. And um, we know well, you're you're going down the pelvic health line, aren't you, Marika? Like, are you doing your masters? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I am. Because if we think about, you know, if we think about other conditions that are to do with connective tissue and laxity, we only have to think of pelvic organ prolapse, which is something women are very predisposed to. And yet there doesn't fear more accepted in a way that that's something that can happen.
0: Interesting. I don't know, actually, because I think I'm just in a few Facebook groups at the moment where I see a lot of, I actually see a lot of fear around prolapse. Um, Oh,
1: okay.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's an interesting point. I'll think about that a bit more.
2: Yeah, I do think that women obviously don't want to get it, but I think that they're more aware of the fact that they can get it. It's a more understood topic, if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, maybe. Mm.
2: But um, what's your thoughts in terms of diastasis, Anthony? What were you kind of getting at in terms of how you find it out there?
1: I think. I think too much is made of all the negative connotations of it, you know? Um, I used to be very, very TA focused and, and, and very much about, um, not just attention, but like, and not just the transfer, like, I mean, you know, load transfer across the linear Alba, like, I mean, this is, this is something that's happened for a while for me, but, um, just that people seem to put rules that just don't make sense to me, like, you can carry your baby, but you're not allowed to do a sit-up forever. You can never sit up straight in bed, but you've got to roll onto your side. You know, you you, you can't squat all the way down. You have to do a half squat. Like, there's all these arbitrary rules that don't make sense to me that people say. And, and um, you know, I, I really feel for the average client out there who comes into this and they're going to get extremes of eh? it doesn't matter to oh my god be careful because your guts are going to spill out you know and and I listen to my clients and and they they are scared of things like that because they think that their internal organs are now vulnerable to the outside world and that I think that's a bit unfair <laughs> I think yeah and, you know, definitely there's softness and you can feel it. If your kid needs you or kicks you in the guts, you're going to feel it. That's for sure. But, um, yeah, I, I, why is everything but so think, extreme? We, that's what I want to know.
0: <laughs> I think we are, as health and fitness professionals, adding to a lot of that confusion as well, though. I mean, we, we only have to look at, you know, a, a discussion we had a couple of days ago where someone's like, you know, Um, why you should never do ta exercises because that's gonna separate the abdominal muscles and you know the research shows that you know doing a curl up will actually bring the two sides of the six-pack muscles together and that's the best and it's like well hang on hang on hang on you're taking a a massive leap there when you do a curl up of course the abdominal wall comes together that's how we test for it but that does not mean doing that as an exercise is necessarily going to make the linear alba miraculously shrink back together and i'd be interested um actually in your thoughts about because you know we will sometimes see in social media people will say oh i have this great program and all my clients go from having a four or five finger gap to having zero or one finger gap within three weeks and in my mind i'm like that's that's just not physiologically like possible, possible unless you're, unless you're really early postnatal, in which case, yes. I mean, don't get me wrong, we get huge changes in our clients, but I sometimes wonder what it is. These are are you
1: measuring it? Like, are you measuring, okay, I measured you at rest and your five fingers. Mm -hmm. And now when you do a curl up, you're at one and before you weren't, you know what I mean? Like,
2: (laughs) yeah, That's the huge issue because that's the issue in the research that does exist as well because everybody's measuring differently and for me, we need to be measuring them where the muscles are at rest because that's where people, I suppose that's where the um, lineal bit is when people are walking around all day, you know, I mean, nobody walks around in a full on crumb. But that's the thing. A lot of women, postnatal, as you know, you may initially assess them and there's a slow reaction or even engagement for the rectus muscle bellies to come in and it may not come in that far, but you start to initiate rehab and the next time you assess them, it does come in much different. So I would speculate that a lot of those fitness professionals are assessing in a full-on crunch or even shoulders off the bed position um, and getting that, um, of course, the rectus muscles are going to come in quite well. During that, I'm sure when they stand up, they still have the pendular abdomen and the lack of support.
1: Yeah. yeah, what's the standard measuring procedure for uh, at rest in standing, right?
2: Yeah, I know. And that's one that Samantha Gillard's research really interested me. Did you see that where she um, did find that the postural, um, that was, I think, published in 2017, was it? She demonstrated um, using ultrasound that the interrectal distance is naturally wider in more upright positions. So versus doing ultrasound at rest, lying down, she did them standing up and It was a natural right wider indirect distance, which is really really interesting and suggests that we're not, I uh, suppose, assessing in the most functional way as physiotherapists because of
0: gravity on the internal organs, right? Mm-hmm. Like-
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. But then that you could be getting a huge difference from what your resting measure is lying down to what mm-hmm. really that client is having, but it's so hard to measure in that position, like, it's so hard to be accurate even with ultrasound in standing yeah for
1: sure that that would be uh there's another research project for you just a few more for you granja no bother um... sorry i I was just going to ask um (laughs) i was going to ask um (laughs) what what seems to me the biggest issue for for clients both online and um in my clinic when you scrape away everything else, for me, it tends to be, and I believe the research bears this out, it tends to be how the tummy looks. Um, Are you you getting that in Ireland as well?
2: Absolutely. The main reason people refer to me, self refer is not because they want to increase the function of their abdominal wall. They want to absolutely get rid of their mommy tummy and the aesthetics, and the research does back that up. There have been correlations I suppose, highlighted strong correlations with body image and self-confidence in terms of diastasis. Um, That is a huge factor. Although I do think coupled with that, like I did actually a a video um, a couple of years back with a a client who's actually one of my um, best friends and colleagues and she's a physiotherapist too. And she had her first baby and she was your typical really small, petite, really sporty. Um, She would have had six pack abs um, and she had a diocese, Um, afterwards. And yes, the aesthetics was a huge component and it affected her body image, but she actually highlighted too. Her lack of frustration as someone who was really fit, she couldn't get her chin, she couldn't lift her head off the bed herself, you know, initially. And she knew she was gripping a lot with her neck muscles and trying to compensate with everything. um. So for me, she coupled with the aesthetics of it was actually the pure lack of strength um, and function. I think it's a huge issue and it's one that frustrates me in terms of the clients. And I think that the message out there when people are Googling and when people are talking to medical community in terms of, um, I suppose, consultants, whether that's obstetrics or obstetricians, gynecologists, or whether that's plastic surgeons, is that their uh, perspective is that diastasis is purely cosmetic, like, which really frustrates me. I don't know if you find that over in Australia, but um, I actually did an interview with uh, several uh, plastic surgeons throughout the UK and Ireland to find out a bit more and ask them the same questions. And 50% of them thought it was absolutely pure. Purely cosmetic, no role for physiotherapy. And um, the ones that did find a role for physiotherapy were actually quite engaging, but it turned out that one of them had done their sports medicine um, masters alongside physiotherapists and got their whole, their eyes wide open to what physiotherapists have to offer. So that was really interesting. Um, But yeah, I think that when now we're getting publications in the, I suppose, surgery uh, journals highlighting that there's functional implications with diastasis. So even within the plastic surgeons' world, they're publishing um, journals to, and articles to say that once they did um, the um women um, significantly improved their low back pain and urinary incontinence. Um, however, there was a systematic review last year. It wasn't systematic review, it was just a literature review last year um, in, with, on plastic surgery. Um, Articles and it basically, I suppose, in black and white, wrote that physiotherapy has no role to offer in diasthesis uh, recti, and that's because we don't have enough out there to. to, to
1: well, I think. Um, make also, a mark.
2: We don't have...
1: Yep, sorry, you cut out a little bit there. Uh, um, I think in, in that review as well, um, it's important to realize that their measurement of success was narrowing the gap instead of improving function and strength and return to normal activities, which is exactly what we do. And so from a plastic surgeon's point of view, they're going to get someone who's been through physio, feels a lot better, is a lot stronger, able to do absolutely everything, but doesn't have the diastasis closed to where whoever wants it to be is there. We can't do Mm -hmm. anything about the skin. I, I think... I understand from that point of view, if you take that as a measurement of success, then yeah, physios can't be plastic surgeons, but we certainly can do physical therapy and we can certainly help people, you know, not just physios, but other professionals as well, you know, get them back to being stronger, fitter and, and, and help them navigate their way towards their, their goals, be it fitness goals, um, uh, you know, personal ADL goals. Um, these are, these are really, really important for me. So, um, yeah, that, that, that review annoyed me because lots of people who have a bias, are just going to pick it up and say, see physio, no, no good. And it's like, ah, uh,
2: I know. But that's my thing. We're we're an uphill battle and we need to really I think as a community of physiotherapists around the world, we need to have a more common voice and we need to be putting things out there and having consistency in it so that when people are searching stuff, they're getting that same message of um i suppose good evidence based message out there so that uh, they're starting to realize that we have a huge role to offer and it's i think because it's physiotherapists we don't tend to be as silly as what i would call it in terms of we're not trying to say you know what i mean like con- and get your washboard abs back in six sessions you know we don't do we're not like car sealed people and but there's a lot of other professionals that kind of cross into our industry that are doing that which and I think that that's what we're up against so we need to be better at championing what we do do.
0: So Grainne just on that note um, could you talk a little bit about what physiotherapy looks like in terms of treatment for diastasis so like someone walks in through the door and they, they've come to see you, they've got, um, let's say, a three to four finger gap. Um, it's very soft in there. They, they're really struggling with um, going to the gym and lifting things. What, what? How does physiotherapy look different to, for instance, any other kind of management by a fitness professional, for example?
2: Well, it's a holistic approach um, from the offset, and I actually um, developed, I suppose, a performer that I used to teach uh, other health and fitness professionals over here um, to give them something to work through, and I call it Triple P, double RLD, or some posture patterns, respiration, rib cage, mode, and defect. So I work through them first of all, getting that person's story: how long have they had to ask this, um, who yeah. diagnosed it, did they diagnose it? Um, And what their, I suppose, intention with going to physio is because that's where I establish whether that's something I can help them with or whether they just want all their loose skin gone and so they need to see a plastic surgeon. And I think that's the first key thing to find out. Um, In terms of posture... Again, we can debate all day long about the likes of posture and the implications of it. However, certainly from a self-efficacy point of view and uh, confidence issues, because we know diastasis has a huge correlation with body image, if I can improve someone's posture and improve their, uh, I suppose, confidence from the offset, I like to engage them from there because they're already maybe leaving feeling a little bit better, um, which gets them on board. Uh, Patterns, I like to think of how they're, how they're moving, how they're, I suppose, transferring and how they're carrying out. And don't get too bogged down in terms of recruitment strategies, such as muscles. You touched on that a little bit earlier, Anthony. I think there was an era where we really focused on um, certain muscles uh, recruiting in certain orders. What I more concentrate on is are they overly bracing and have they got bad strategies in terms of breath holding and things to, I suppose, achieve extra strength or how are they doing and what are they doing? So I'm looking basically at how they're carrying out normal transfers or normal tasks in their daily living. Um, Ribcage, I'm not sure how much you focus on rib cage, Marika, um, but I tend to find a lot of women with diastasis flare quite significantly at the ribs and they flare even more during the work of an activity in order to get that extra stability. Anthony, you might challenge me and tell me that's not a bad thing, um, I don't, but I tend to have a good look at that and um, see what we can do in terms of, because if the ribcage are significantly flared, we know that the rectus muscles attach to the ribcage at the top, so we want to make sure that if they're not some, a factor that's overly flaring out and, I suppose, encouraging, encouraging diastasis. Um, low ten. Loads are really important factor and this is where I think we come into play as physiotherapists. We're exercise prescription specialists. I have really moved along over the last few years and I'm huge into making sure we're prescribing the maximum load of activity that these um, women can have and not being too safe and not being everything on their back and only doing because a lot of women come with the assets, these are crossfitters they're high level sporting athletes they're dying to get back to the sport that they love and they have went to therapist after therapist and be told you can't do that you're not allowed to do this anymore you'll never go back to crossfit crossfit is bad and that's what they want to do so what we have to it's our role to, I suppose, give them strategies to get back into that. And I've enjoyed watching Anthony with them. Um, it's Mary Ryan, is it?
1: Le- Lisa, Lisa Ryan. Lisa
2: Ryan, Lisa Ryan. Um, I've enjoyed watching that story because um, I agree. I think that people should be able to get back to it. And I like to. I do tend to go on a guide of. I prescribe exercise in terms of trying to get them not to dome or tent, whereas you might challenge me on that, don't they? Whereas I think that if we can maximally load it to a level that they can stabilize, you tend to progress from there and you increase the load and increase the load and increase the load until they're back to normal activities. Um, I look like oh, yeah. Yeah, Marika. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> I, I take I, it to
0: just, just shy of that, but I have to yeah. be, I'm, I'm a lot more, um, I don't want to say assertive. Aggressive, like I, I load people up so much more now yeah. than five years ago, and it kind oh. it kind of came by accident. It was one of my clients who um, she was just coming to my normal classes, and we did lots of abdominal. We actually did quite a lot of abdominal work, and she actually emailed me later, and she, she it was after her second baby, and she said I was so much stronger after this pregnancy than I ever was before. And I remember kind of going, huh, that's interesting, because I would made my classes a lot less conservative.
2: Hmm, maybe there's something in Nah, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, so there and are a women have... who come to me um, who can't.
1: Sorry. You Sorry, could. Adelaide,
2: cause I was going to say, a lot of women come to me who, who can't blow up a balloon, or if they do, they significantly don't. And like, blowing up a balloon is, uh, I always think, is a, a task that's normal life as a mom because there's going to be parties at some stage. And I have so many women who come in with an absolute complex over the fact that it's nearly embarrassing or they can't get their head around the fact I can't blow up a balloon. It's a simple task and I've asked someone else to do that and I want to be able to blow up a balloon. So I get people progressing to blowing up balloons and balloons become a huge element of my rehab progression because it adds such a different dynamic to side planks and just normal exercises. It's, it's really difficult. It, it, it gives, uh, I, can feel the, I can feel the abdominal work when I'm doing it. Um, so it's, if you can get someone blowing up a balloon with relatively good strategy, they're doing pretty good.
1: Yeah, um, I was going to, um, I, I, I agree, you know, every time I blow up a balloon, I think, hmm, abs, abs are working, and then what ways, and, and I want all the ways that they work, but, um, you know, I, I did have a, I did have a post, and I'm going to, I'm going to put a post, Lisa put a post of, um, of her and Aaron Donato side by side with me explaining why i'm okay with the visible tenting that you see with lisa and not okay with the not so obvious tenting that we see in Aaron. and for me it's um you know the the bony landmarks like how well do you keep within your bony landmarks and and when you know lisa does a long hollow yeah she does tent up the through the linear alba but you can just push it straight back down and then it kind of stays down. Like it's not a real blowout type of pressure. Whereas when Erin did the same thing, because she'd only only started doing it in the last three to four weeks after a long time, she just did not have the strength to maintain it. And her whole anterior abdominal wall was doming out. And, you know, I, I'm okay with Lisa doing her thing. But you know, for Erin, it was like, well, you're not demonstrating to me what I need to see in terms of control and doing what you need to do. To like, she was really stretching on her tissues, whereas Lisa's got so much loose tissue that um, that you have to be aware that just looking at how it looks is not a good enough uh, measure of whether it's suitable for her or not. Yeah. Uh, that was pretty cool to do side by side, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've seen that video. And it, it, that's one of the ones that then gets it. That, that's the type of thing that then throws the spanner in the works for me, a wee bit, <laughs> in a good way. But it gets me thinking, because then I start to, we have the age of whether diastasis and pelvic floor dysfunction are correlated. And we know that there has been, I suppose, conflicting uh, publications in, in the literature. But... More than not, publications would tend to say that there's, there's the potential for some correlation, particularly with pelvic organ prolapse and diastasis. And that element of strategy that you talk about there starts to make me think, well, maybe that's a really safeguarding strategy because, you know, if she tense up a little bit, the pressure's not going somewhere else. Do you know, I, I start to kind of then think, right, well, what is it that we want to be happening? It, it just gets me, what do you think, Marika?
0: <laughs> no, I'm only smiling, because Anthony and I have had this conversation with before, you know, it's like, because some of the studies that show, um, I don't know, which was a study, Anthony, that showed that women who had diastasis had less um, pelvic organ oh, oh, prolapse at 12 months
1: so, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Although, uh, 17.
0: What's the correlation, is it a, is it a correlation? Obviously, it's a correlation, but what's a, is it a causation? Like, what's what's the relationship? From in? a
1: marketing point of view, we could say that those. So, if if we were pro diastasis being protective, you could say that it's nearly four times the rate of women without diastasis developing pelvic organ prolapse compared to those who had a diastasis. And so you think, wow! But we're talking about four percent and like four and a half percent and sixteen percent or something. You know what I mean? Like, um, and so then if you're negative on that and you think that diastasis is linked to pelvic floor dysfunction, then you'd look at the studies and say, well, it's still really low, and we don't really know what happens. Like, no matter which position that you take on your beliefs about diastasis and public floor dysfunction, you'll find some way to to work around whatever it is. For me, it's just like throw the spanner in the works and see what happens, right?
2: (laughs) Well I I guess really
0: always treat that individual that walks in through the door, right?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think women, the population we're treating with diastasis or high risk of pelvic floor dysfunction anyway, you know, they could have easily just been coming in with pelvic floor dysfunction. These women who are having babies, that's, that's our risk factors. But I really hope that, uh, Carrie is, um, following, doing a longitudinal study on that or following that up because I'd be really interested to see, um, if exposure over a longer period of time changes those outcomes. Um, And again, they're all primiparous women. There's there's things that you could flag up to say that it's too early to know um, in terms of that study, but we're never going to have a study that completely gives us the answer that we want because we cannot control all the other factors. And that's just the long and short of it. So there's always going to be a question. Um, In terms of what I see, and I use a lot of ultrasound, I... I would use ultrasound both um, abdominally and transperineal and I do see um, implications for the pelvic floor but then that's maybe my bias Um, you know I, I treat the pelvic floor a lot too um, but I would see that there can be a lot of descending at the pelvic floor and um, excessive pressure due to the way they compensate but then again the limitation of that is that I'm assessing them crook which probably isn't that functional compared to what they're doing in their day-to-day life so yes you could challenge that aren't they?
1: No, no, I, I, never, I, never challenge, I never challenge what people observe, right? It's just the stories we put around it and the meaning that we put on it um, and the selection bias that each of us have in, in recognising that, okay, we, we see a certain population. Uh, I was going to say, for me, the strategy that people develop to help with these sorts of things is absolutely the issue. You know, um, I saw, I I had a online consult today where um, she doesn't have diastasis. She's got incontinence and pelvic organ prolapse. And for her, her strategy has been to flare the ribs out and suck up using her breathing. And that's how she's trying to stop uh, leaking. Now, that's rather um, difficult to do high-level exercise if that's a strategy that you're, you're depending on, you know, to, to stop incontinence from occurring, for example. Um, so for me, whether you have a diastasis or not, I'm much more interested in, well, what are you doing with it? How, how are you developing the pressure that you need to provide this? We know that core stability really is about pressure, Right. Been in the literature for ages. It's about intra-abdominal pressure. Uh, I was reading some biomechanical studies just the other day which talked about uh, unloading spinal joints and providing support with increasing levels of intra-abdominal pressure. Like this stuff exists. Um, How are you developing that pressure? And, you know, pressure in a fluid-filled system is equally exerted in all directions. Therefore, it's the stiffness of the container that is more important in how you're going to direct that pressure because pressure technically is exerted in all directions equally. So exactly what you're seeing on ultrasound to me is, well, whether you have a diastasis or not, looking for that descending bladder, um, not able to meet the pressure, using your pelvic floor, excessive amounts of pressure from above being developed through whatever strategy you have, you know, using ultrasound imaging for that, I think is, um, is really cool. And, and yeah, I won't ever challenge you on doing that. No, I think, mm-hmm. I think if you, if you said, well, everyone that I see with a diastasis, that's what they're doing. Therefore, everybody with the diastasis is doing that. I'll, I'll have a quiet <laughs> word with you, but I, you're not saying <laughs> that.
2: <so. laughs> nope. nope. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else I was going to say to you. Um, uh, uh, what are you finding in terms of physiotherapy in Australia? Do you find that everyone's doing the same approach or do you find that it's quite uh, varied from therapist to therapist? And is that an issue?
0: I think it's pretty variable. Um, I don't I don't actually know what a lot of people are doing. Um, I think... I think on the whole, there's probably still quite a lot of confusion. Um, I think we have some people who are uh, very much in the crook line, getting the deep abdominals activating, adding a little bit of load, like a very conservative approach. Um, We have another group who are using much more of a curl up, do lots of crunches, that seems to make our patients better, that kind of approach. Um, I think most physios use um use more i think people are moving more into functional exercise these days and certainly Anthony has had um a big influence on on what happens um in in, in australia <laughs> but i i do think yeah i think there's a lot of variability and perhaps that's part of the problem it'll be interesting actually as i do the um the masters because we will cover diastasis and i will mm-hmm. be obviously poking the bear a lot and asking a lot of questions, but I'm, I'm intrigued to see actually what, what happens, what people are doing uh, nationally and what is recommended through the university courses because I think um, just in conversations online, I think there's a huge amount of variability. I don't think there's a lot of um, agreement. And then certainly with conversations in groups in the States, um, yeah, they're doing completely different stuff, I think, to what, what a lot of us do here as well. I don't know,
1: Anthony, what do you reckon? Um, I think being in Australia, we. my feeling is that lots of, lots of women's health physios, lots of pelvic floor therapists um, are still really concerned about the pelvic floor dysfunction and we'll check that and we'll integrate pelvic floor with abdominal function, whatever that means, and breathing. I think... I think if we look at those three things, which is uh, breathing, abdominal wall control, and pelvic floor function, I would say they're the three main things that most physios, I would say, around the world tend to focus on. Um, What that looks like in terms of an exercise program goes from bent knee fallouts, and you can't graduate from bent knee fallouts until you can do them the way that I'm happy with, all the way through to oh, you're breathing. Oh, you've got an abdominal wall. Oh, you've got a pelvic floor. Let's go. Um, you know, it's it's very very variable. I I personally am a conservative physio. I know it doesn't sound like it. I know that people laugh whenever I say it, but you know, I I stick by I stick by my guidelines and the principles that I use, which is why I can take Lisa. And, you know, we're talking about Lisa because she's given me permission to talk about her case. Um, I I would take Lisa through some really scary stuff for some therapists and other therapists. They're like, well, of course you did because that's what I would do too. Um, But she's ready for that, right? And then there are other people it's like, "Mm, you know what? You are at a crunch and I'm going to let you lift up one leg as well. And that's it, because that's all I can watch you do without, you know, breaking whatever standards that I want to keep in place. I can I can sense that you're bearing down. I can, you know, I can't tell for sure, but you need to check with a women's health physio. But I think you have a bearing down strategy to develop your stability. And that really is more important to me than your diastasis and where it's at, because like, I mean... You know, one of the fears of people with diastasis is that they do develop pelvic floor dysfunction if they don't have it. And, you know, they've had people who say, oh, my diastasis is better and now I leak. Um, So... so, I think that comes
0: back... That's a really valid point, though, Anthony, because when you're dealing with diastasis... Sorry, I say diastasis, diastasis, whatever. Um, I mean, Gronje obviously is a pelvic health physio and she she uses real-time ultrasound, but she also does um, internal examinations. Anthony and I um, are musculoskeletal physiotherapists. So we pretty much, well, I don't know about you, Anthony, but just about everyone that I see will see a public health physiotherapist. Um, and I do some internal examinations now, but that's kind of part of that that picture. Um, I think all of us want to know what is going on internally. And I, I think without that knowledge, it's very hard to push people um, to that next level in terms of their rehabilitation Um so what do you think, Gronje, about um, pelvic floor physiotherapy intervention, uh, sorry, intera- uh, pelvic floor physiotherapists and their involvement with diastasis?
2: I think it's key um, exactly for the reason, because otherwise we are guessing what's happening at the pelvic floor and you just don't know. And what Anthony's highlighted earlier is this is ne- not necessarily a strategy at the pelvic floor that they've developed as a result of diastasis. It could have been a, a strategy they had anyway that needed um Addressed, but that the whole picture of it, um, I suppose, alongside what's going on at the abdominal wall, um, needs to be improved. So um, I'm a huge fan of, I would always generally assess someone pelvic floor wise when I'm treating Um And I agree that most anyone who is MSK and treating um, diastasis probably should be linking in with the pelvic floor physio. And it's interesting because the issue that we have currently is that there's no guidelines for diocese so i'll be interested to hear an update from your masters marika to see what um what they are putting out there but we are currently I you may have heard that uh, tom Goom and Emma brockwell if you're aware of them in the uk we are currently writing the, i suppose uh, the first return to running postnatal guideline um, and we've and anthony you've had a a wee sneak preview of the first draft but um we are uh, making sure that we're getting diastasis in there because it's, it tends to be the missing link. So the focus on these guidelines is pelvic health and usually pelvic health guidelines stick very much to pelvic health. So we're trying to, I suppose, highlight. It's not to say that everybody returning to running um, will have diastasis or that anyone returning to running who may have pelvic floor dysfunction will have diastasis that will have caused it. But it's more to put that out there to the sporting profession that are going to be reading this because it's most likely not going to be strictly pelvic health physiotherapists accessing these guidelines it's going to be the therapist dealing with them so we need to be opening up those channels of communication and we've actually highlighted that women should all have an evaluation before returning to run and postnatal and that should include a pelvic health um, physiotherapist and it's that co-working between pelvic health and MSK community so hopefully these will open a dialogue hopefully hopefully we'll see I have a draft two coming your way soon Anthony mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll send them to you too, okay. Yeah, I'm really
0: interested in that. Because no, we really want
2: t- as much peer review.
0: That's, that's really, that's awesome. I had a client recently who was, um, she's a runner. She runs marathons and she's sort of seven years postnatal. I think I was chatting to you, Anthony, and she had pretty significant diastasis, but was kind of cracking on as you do as a mum because she had three children. and um But it was amazing because I just basically gave her lots of abdominal strengthening exercises but in more upright positions related to running and um, I saw her a couple of months later and her she, she was hitting these PBS and um, it was it was just so exciting it was exciting for her but it was exciting for me too just to see that you know that that strength is just so important for running um, the abdominal wall strength is is actually yeah functionally it's really important
2: huge and the biggest thing for me personally is the culture which I'm sure user you're in Australia so it's all uh, beach bodies everywhere, but it's um, social media and the snapback. are working upon this community because women are, I suppose, uh, jumping into exercise and high level exercise too soon. And this does not facilitate the rehab. I'm not completely cautious. We've talked about that, but it has to be the right element and the right grading of exercise and the right progression. But... One thing that really gets to me is, I'm sure it happens everywhere, we have a lot of local like, classes and boot camps which advertise as like postnatal friendly, diasis friendly, and oh my goodness, they are not. But that's what patients are seeing, that's what these women are accessing, and if they see a flyer that says, but this is tailored to postnatal, Like, where are the, uh, I suppose, the watchdogs and the bodies that are kind of regulating these things?
0: Uh, yeah, we, we definitely have a lot of that. Good. <laughs> it's not just us. I had a client who came to see me for a second pregnancy and she was, she had 12 months of really significant low back pain after her first baby. She was absolutely fine. She went to, I think she was eight weeks postnatal, um, hill spring, burpees, star jumps, planks. Um, and she, yeah, yeah. Developed such significant pain. It took her almost a year to recover.
1: All of which I'm are not bad it. exercises. All of which are not bad exercises. Just probably not appropriate for point, her.
0: Yeah, yeah. At some point in the rehabilitation program. I have no problem with planks and burpees. Yeah. I mean, planks are boring ads. I don't know why anyone would want to do them. But if that's what you want to do, if that, if that excites you, I'm more than happy to get you back to that. But I don't think it's a great exercise to kick off your postnatal rehab. <laughs> yeah. But you know what's
2: really interesting is that um, with the, because I'm using the ultrasound and because we live in a culture where when women are looking up, they're maybe starting to get the message of uh, stay away from crunches, never do crunches again. When I see a lot of these women and the research backs it up is that where the diastasis is largest, uh, there's been quite significant atrophy at the rectus abdominis, muscle belly. And that's a huge issue because that's affects our strength. We're supposed to have a uh, muscle bulk there. So I think as physiotherapists, we have to know when to start to reintegrate that and how to reintegrate it and exactly kind of echoing what you've said already, Anthony. But it's it, just to make the point that, yes, we're seeing that, um, I suppose, muscle wasting there. And that should, that's an issue. That's an issue. So we need to be addressing it.
1: And yet again, my favorite thing is... You know, restricting activity in the hopes of saving a vagina is not holistic women's health. That's just the bottom line, you know?
2: Yeah, I know. But it's really, it's, yeah, it's, it's really hard though because, yeah, it's that's where I think uh, pelvic floor evaluation coming in and reducing that fear and giving them the strategies to know how they are recruiting right down there so that then you're taking that element of fear away. So I think that's why that's important because you can reassure them without... Blindly reassuring them. Yeah,
0: and I think it's, I think offering people a pathway though isn't it, Grania? Like, um, if you see someone once or twice and then send them on their way and say, Yeah, yeah, you're you're fine. That's very different to, okay, so this is our plan for the first four weeks. Let's see how you go with these exercises. Okay, we need to step you up to that next level. Okay, so and you are talking about you know muscle atrophy you know what's the process of, of um, getting that hypertrophy and you know bulking up those tissues and getting them functional strength and i don't know that a lot of people are getting the mid to late stage rehabilitation um, mm-hmm. of their abdominal, abdominal wall which is the stuff i love doing and i'm pretty sure you guys do as well mm-hmm. um is actually taking them through that process and i think for a lot of people it's kind of that early i don't know six weeks of postnatal pilates mm-hmm. and, and then that's it
2: mm-hmm yeah. yeah, I think that women have to get back to their meaningful sport, and that's my biggest thing. Get them back to the thing they love, because having a baby is a huge life-changing event, and it changes significantly for the mother. So, if you can give her that headspace of the activity she enjoys and so that you're given elements of life that haven't changed i think that's key because um that's what we should do rather than oh well i've had a baby and now can't do that anymore it you know we just live in a can't do culture and we need to that's where physios need to be changing their voice because these women are finding other professionals because other professionals are saying yeah i'll get you back to that and that's where we're losing and so we need to be using the expertise the knowledge the skills we have because we can i suppose more holistically provide them with the strategies to get back to where they want to be. And we need to be doing that. But you talked about a pathway there too. And I do still think that while I'm not, I'm big pro conservative management, but I'm realistic to know that in similarly to and um, conditions that I treat, physiotherapy is not going to be the answer for everyone. And I do think we need to have better um, links and pathways for getting these patients that don't respond conservatively or don't achieve their goals because I might be happy with someone's function but they're not happy with their outcome in terms of it could be more to do with the esthetics or more to do with how they feel. So I think we need to be better at um, having more of a voice in the surgical field and the fact that a lot of surgeons don't really rate physiotherapy in the process is eye opening and my biggest um, thing that I wanna raise is that we should be involved in the pre and postnatal rehab of these clients because the surgeons that I interviewed One of them said that it was eight week recovery for a full rectus abdominus plication with tummy tuck. Like, and that's, that's major, major surgery. So I actually clarified, could that person go back to CrossFit at eight weeks post up post up and they said, yes, like we are the expert, the rehabilitation experts that need to be guiding that. So we need to be making our mark to show that we know how to progress these plants safely and to safeguard the integrity of that repair. And, you know, so I think we have more to do there and establishing links and making our mark.
1: Very very valid points. I was um, I was wondering in terms of how your patients the, the fears the fears that they're dealing with and the language can we talk about the fear based language um, specifically like what are some of the things that you're hearing from your clients that are concerning in terms of the language that they're using and and the things that they're reading do you have do you have any insights on on that sort of thing because that's that is going to affect how they see their progress towards what they're going back to what they want to do you know and 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 if we have a such a negative view you know you you said a lot of the times that we physios often do that right we often say you can't you can't you can't um so just trying to tie in all those themes in then with the language, like, I mean, my, my belief is that what we believe as physios and as therapists, health professionals, fitness professionals, what we believe then comes out in our words, what are some of the things that clients should be looking out for in their therapist's language, in things that they read and what things should they be um, doing to, I suppose, inoculate themselves even against...
2: Well, first of all, the therapist shouldn't be just solely focusing on the gap. I always think that's a real uh, warning sign that if you have someone obsessing over the gap and that that's the only marker they take, you need to find another therapist. They should be talking more holistically and finding out more about you and what you want to do. I always think that there shouldn't be, kind of what we covered, there shouldn't be the idea of, oh, you can't go back to that. You're going to be doing Pilates for the rest of your life and basic entry-level Pilates for the rest of your life. That's a warning sign. And also therapists who come out with things like, oh, that's because I I get a lot of women who come in and say, I know, I'm just so annoyed. I was just so fit beforehand and that's why I've got diastasis. And that kind of creates this bad message that being fit is a risk factor and a negative thing when we know that exercise and fitness is good for everything. So they're probably going to get diastasis anyway. Um, But it's it's that sort of fear-inducing language that even... A, makes the client think that this is something they've done to themselves nearly I get a lot of people like oh if I didn't um, you know I was getting up on that sit-up action all through my pregnancy I give myself a diastasis um or you know so I think that we need to be we need to be mindful that we're accessing therapists who want seem to understand about diastasis and that they seem to have an understanding of what the literature and what other health professionals are saying out there and that it's not prescriptive and it's not one size fits all and that they do the same thing with every client. It should be bespoke and tailored and um, individualized. And it should encompass more than just exercise within that session. So for me, diastasis, to address it properly, you have to think of that lady and her activities of daily living. So you have to give her strategies for lifting the baby, putting car seats into the thing. You're giving her just good technique of doing that. But also things like constipation. If someone's significantly constipated, that's a huge exertion on the abdominal wall. And so if you can improve that, I think that's um, a huge element of improving their overall health and well-being in terms of diastasis as well. I'm not so sure how much you go into the nutrition side of things. I'm not a nutritionist um, and I don't have the qualifications in it, so I don't tend to touch too so much. I, I like the idea of eating clean and yes, drinking your water and getting your fruit and veg, but I would often signpost people if I think they need advice on nutrition. But what in terms of physio and in Australia happens?
0: I always ask about constipation and bloating, um, and bloating. then I, I refer on. Yeah, because yeah, I definitely same. have some have lots of bloating um, and then when I ask them a little bit more maybe they've got some IBS or some other things which is totally just not not in my scope but I do think that internal pressure going out may yeah. well be you know, um, leading, contributing to um, well not only the aesthetics of the abdominal wall but maybe some pressure on the linear alba so yeah that's kind of my my thing
1: yeah and it's the same thing you know I don't pretend <laughs> I don't pretend to be nutritionally. <laughs> um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, what's the word proficient? Look, I'm not trained in nutrition, so I ask the simple things: constipation, bloating. Um, it's interesting, you know, the whole EDS thing, digestive function, uh, hypermobility, Crohn's mm-hmm. disease. There's, there's quite a few different little interesting bits and pieces there. Um, I'll ask them about if they if they've noticed any correlation, but. Certainly, um, if there's anything that pops up, I, I handball that out to somebody who does do more of that stuff. But, you know, even touching on things like constipation, taking care of the basics is an important thing, um, you know, dealing with the constipation, dealing with the hay fever, dealing with chronic cough, sneeze. Um, these little things do make a difference. Um, but also, you know, making sure that people, I often say that, you know, if you told a physio that everywhere within a certain room was safe to exercise, most physios will go stand in the middle of the room and exercise. Um, they'd never really go to the edges comfortably, most, you know, physios. Um, whereas I'm like, oh, I want to see how close to the edge I can go. Um, and oh, you we know from- <laughs> Well, we know from the research that you need at least 70% of your 1RM to get actual change in your muscle strength, true muscle strength, not just neurological. So you have to kind of push, you know? Um, it's not, I don't know, doing little itty-bitty things isn't really going to help people in the long run.
0: I, I like what, Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I like what you're saying about... Um, about the self blame side of things, oh, yeah. because I think I think that's really important to address as well. In in terms, of, like I'll ask people about their perception of their diastasis, and uh, you know, you're talking about the story, um, and I think it's really really important because I, I definitely have some clients who will come and say, "Oh my god, I did," "Oh my god, I did this exercise in pregnancy," or maybe I sh- I didn't eat as well as I could have, and there, there can be so much self blame around that. Um, and just letting them know that you know what. There's probably nothing that you did that actually contributed to this it's, you know it's ge- a lot of genetics um
2: yeah and, you got
0: pregnant the <laughs> yeah the fact that it's a normal part of growing a baby um but women have so much self-blame and i think that can actually limit their rehabilitation totally
2: think- it's the same as every other condition we treat um the whole biopsychosocial approach is important um but it's even like, just, oh, I don't know, it's all those beliefs, you're already that's affecting their self-confidence and self-efficacy and you're just channeling into that whole circle and it's spiraling out of control. So it's just, it's giving them a chance. But similarly to, I suppose, other pelvic health conditions, diastasis in many ways is still quite taboo in the sense that women will try to hide it. So they're wearing suitable, I suppose, underwear and clothes to hide it. Other, they haven't told their friends they've got it. Chances are their friends have it too. Do you know what I mean? So um, women are suffering in silence with this and coming to us and uh, the outreach and hopefully us at some stage looking for help. And they're nearly that relieved that you know it or you, you've seen other people with it. You know, you can see that element of, okay, and like other young people, I'm like, yes, Do you know, and suddenly you can see the fear lifting um, but that's why I think the likes of this and this sort of platform here is key because most women find me via social media um, because they're not telling other people about it. They're not accessing me through their healthcare professionals because they go to their GP and their GP tells them they need surgery after they've finished their family, um, which is on another point, I'm actually currently doing uh, as part of um, as part of my public sector job, I'm doing an audit um, involving, we've sent a questionnaire out to all the GPs in my trust to ask them what Different questions about what they understand about pelvic health, that includes things like whether we treat the as and things. and the answers we're getting back. Is, it's so interesting. They do not understand our job. We're like the Chandler being of physiotherapy. nobody knows what we go to work to do, and I think that we need to change that. <laughs> But I will update you on what the outcome of that survey is because I think it gives us an indication of, I'm sure it's the same at all, in all areas around the world, but it gives us an idea of what we need to be increasing awareness to our medical professionals about what we do. And what annoys me is that a client might go to their GP and the GP has said, you'll need surgery after you finish the family. And then they come and find me and I'm like, no, well, we can do, you know, we can do conservative rehab, but the GP's here. I'm here. They believe this more. The GP knows more and knows that they need surgery. I don't realise they don't need surgery. You know, it's that's what we're living against. Um, so I think we need to be getting the GPs with the right information so that we they can be our voice as well. I think that's yeah. really true. And I
0: get women in pregnancy. Um, Sorry, Anthony, you had to talk at the same time. So I see a lot of uh, women in my pregnancy classes and also through my online program, but just trying to let them know about diastasis through their pregnancy, let them know what is normal, what is not, what are their options postnatally? How can they screen it themselves postnatally? Trying to educate women, but without scaring the shit out of them, excuse yeah. the language. Um, yeah. But I want to get them really early, um, early in, in the story so that I can almost like imprint on them. <laughs> um, oh yeah. What I you know, I, what I think is relevant um but I think it's harder when we get people much further down further down the track because I've already been googling because I've discovered there's this problem and what do you do you jump online and you start googling and then you get exposed to all and sundry really
2: yeah and what I want to also say is that for anyone listening to this, if you have diastasis, don't wait until you finish the family. There's that common belief of, oh, I've got diastasis, I maybe need to go get physio, but I'm going to have a couple more kids, so I'll just ride it out. I'm like, come in between, we can do so much, we can prevent that progressing. Um, and then you're not getting them at the stage, five, six years down the line, when they've got that, when their story's much longer, when they have a lot more elements to their story. So let's get it early and let's access, access help earlier.
1: Yeah. And like, if you're not doing anything for it as well, we're going to have to deal with the fact that there's significant muscle atrophy as well. You know, like we need to, we need to get you stronger. Um, I, I had a woman just the other day, you know, and she was really concerned about her diastasis. She was concerned about how her tummy looked and part of it was okay. Well, you need to do some exercise for this There's no doubt because you know, you need to have a little bit more strength to do the things you want to do. And then some of it is like, look, I'm a physio. So this is skin and fat. This has nothing to do with me in terms of the diastasis. I can certainly give you exercises to help you get fitter. Um, but this is going to move forwards with your diastasis and some of the look that you don't like. And for her, it was about the look. It wasn't about the function at all. It was about the look. Um, You know, it was like, if if it's about the look, I'm not going to make any promises, but from what I can see, there's certainly things that we can do. And why don't we see how we go with that? And you focus on, getting your nutrition right you focus on getting your exercise in you focus on getting enough sleep and enough rest because we know that mothers need that sort of thing Um, and then let's see how we go from there
2: it's funny because as some women progress even though the focus can very much be on the aesthetics and the skin we as physiotherapists can make some change in the actual pendular look of it so um, some women find that they're actually happier when actually I'm Wearing clothes that I haven't worn in years um, so then suddenly the aesthetic component changes for them they're happy enough with what their body looks like when they're looking at it skin to skin but they're happy enough that they can dress it better if you know what I mean so that's a huge element and I think that's why everybody should access conservative rehabilitation first no matter what stage they go through and whether they follow that on with um, a surgical consult because then they're more informed for the postnatal rehab and then hopefully access postnatal rehab because at the minute there's a whole population out there getting surgery and not getting access to postnatal rehab, which is a huge issue. We get we get how many so months rehab for ACL? So you mean eh?
0: post-surgical, post-surgical rehab? Oh, so, sorry. Mean-
2: post-surgical rehab. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. But I just, I laughed because I was like, somebody has an ACL repair and they get prescribed or sent to physiotherapy for months of rehabilitation and people undergo uh, rectiplication and it's just... We're back to CrossFit at eight weeks.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's mental, isn't it? Yeah. We will probably wrap it up pretty soon, but I just just wanted to ask um, Ronye, when you have a, a new client who comes to see you who has some tummy muscle separation, um, what? How do you set the expectations for them, or what are the sort of what's the prognosis that you would give your client? I know it would be variable.
2: Um, I'm guessing
0: promise everyone a six pack in six No, packs.
2: and to be honest, I very much highlight that. There, I usually tell people that there's a lot of, um, there's quite an absence of research in this area, but that is physiotherapists. Um, we're well-placed to guide exercise progression. So when we assess them and evaluate that, you know, what their, I suppose, deficits or what things are highlighting, because I would very much from the offset educate them that a little bit of separation is normal. And... Um, but highlight that we want to make sure the function of the abdominal wall is restored and so it's not just about the gap so once we identify what they're doing well and maybe what they're not doing so well i, I suppose offer them the that i can i suppose facilitate them and improve um, hopefully because it depends on if they are able to transfer load or if we can improve their load transfer across the lineal but with some people they may not be able to achieve that and they may be quite a clear-cut surgical candidates. So that's important to highlight from quite early on and so that you're not given false expectations. But in terms of the aesthetics, I would say that some people do get an improvement um, in the aesthetical component in terms of the support of the tummy. But it really depends and it depends on how compliant someone is because diastasis is not a quick fix in terms of rehab and it does involve dedication and it can be painfully slow and boring, but that it depends on if the if the client wants to buy into that. And the way I work is that I see people very spread out I don't see them often at all I usually see people assess them give them a rehab program get them send them away for weeks doing it before I want to see them again because I want to see did they have a response and then progress that load and so it's not something that they're running forward and back to me it's something that very much they take ownership for and that's my biggest thing is giving them the ownership and giving them the tools to know what they need to be doing and what not to be doing and decreasing the fear so even if you know, people have been advised not to do something. I'm like, don't worry if you you forget and you're going through life's mental life, three young kids. If you're just grabbing and going and doing anything and not thinking about how you're doing things, don't worry about that. You're not going to undo, undo all your work and progress. And that's a huge element of reducing the fear because women can work and do the rehab and then decide that they got up the wrong way or did something and suddenly they have this meltdown where they think they've undone everything, they're back to square one and they're not. They're fine. I always talk about, I want to... Increase the amount of things that are good to help progress your diastasis and decrease the amount of things that go against it. but We're never going to completely eliminate them. We're just trying to change the balance. So that's the way I would bring it to them, and then I give them ownership of that balance and see how they go.
0: I think that's fantastic, and I love that you mentioned surgery and the fact that um, it's not a failure. It's yeah. for some people, it's absolutely a necessity. And the clients that I've had who've had it done have it's changed their world, and they're so glad they had it done yeah. and they felt me afterwards how much it, from a and actually weirdly even though for a lot of women it's the aesthetics that got them in afterwards they don't talk about oh for me i don't know whether you guys agree but they don't go oh my gosh i'm so glad that my tummy's flat now they actually come out they go oh my gosh i was i was getting the pram in and out of the car and it felt i just felt like there was this connection i feel so much stronger um and they actually post surgery we'll talk more about the strength and function rather than the aesthetics even though i think for a lot of women it might be the aesthetics that uh, that is the tipping point for them going in which i just find interesting yeah
2: I think that the two are so correlated in many degrees because I think that possibly that disconnect and lack of function then makes it harder for them to deal with the aesthetics because, you know what I mean, they could become so separated from that area because it doesn't do its functional job right and it doesn't look how they remember it and it's a huge component. So I think fixing either or can have an influence on the other.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree, actually. And there's quite a few ladies who are definitely heading to towards surgery, and they got so much stronger, there's still that little bit of a pooch, and they've just said, you know what, I'm actually okay with that, because I can do all the things I want to do, it looks a little bit better, you know, in profile, I'm actually, I- I'm okay with that. Totally.
1: Yeah, and that brings up even more issues, you know, um, things like identity, some, you know, um, it, it's it's going to, um, it's going, you know, the, just the whole concept of I've I've been defined my diastasis. I'm thinking of people like Lisa, Brianna, Battles, um, you know, where this has been a big part of their life. Um, the question of, of identity and, and post-surgery, what, what that's going to be like for them is going to be really, really interesting. And, you know, I've been a part of both of their journeys. Um but you know, identity is a big thing for lots of different people, and and you know whether you identify with the stories sorry, that you sorry. tell yourself and and self blaming. Coles um, doesn't exist in this shopping centre. There There's well, the IGA is there. The Coles is outside of town. Yeah, thanks. Sorry, directions. <laughs> 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 So I just have up. A
0: sign up I am not <laughs> the of management,
1: you know. Um. So so being able to, um, being able to be a part of Brietta and um, Lisa's journey has been interesting, but, but certainly that i that idea of uh, identity is really important. And so whether you're identifying with the stories that you're telling yourself, and like what you were saying, you know, the self blame type of stories, or when people develop something they they go through and they think about absolutely everything that they should have done differently to maybe have prevented that. Um, I think, you know, exploring that is really important and, um, you know, all, all of this comes back to the same things that we're doing in, in physio, in healthcare, um, in pain science, for example, you know those danger messages, the um, the safety in me messages, dims and sims. If we're going to use the NOI type stuff, um, uh, you know, acknowledging this the psychological implications of what's going on, because everybody focuses on the anatomy, which is biological, of course, but there's a psychological component and then the sociological component, which you know, the, the whole pancake idea of, of a person with, I don't know who said it, but anyway, I use it these days, um, where pancakes have flour, eggs and water. Absolutely. And we, we, we cut into the pancake and we never say, Oh, here's the egg part of the problem. Right. Oh, here's the eggs in the pancake. Like a person is a biopsychosocial, um, presentation and the amount could be different it could be the same it doesn't really matter but you can never separate that out so you know just talking about just you know just thinking about it and um as a biopsychosocial approach to diastasis is you know is important um I do want to sum up just real quickly. Um, we've t- we it felt like we got together, we grabbed a portable drink, like you know a bottle of water, or a, a travel coffee, and we went walking through the countryside, looking at all the different things that we could look at. Um, some key points maybe that we could tease out: um, physios um, have a lot to offer, and we don't do ourselves any favour. Um, in in promoting ourselves because we are well first of all legally we can't make really extravagant claims but secondly we, we're not naturally marketers when with we're, we're, we're health professionals um so we do suffer from from that so physios have a lot to offer there's a lot of fear-based messaging going on um There's a lot of beliefs out there, I would say beliefs and myths about diastasis. Um, And one of the great points that I thought you made, Gronje, was um, looking looking at getting help even if you haven't finished having your family yet. I think that was a great point. Um, You know, knowing what's happening at, at, at the pelvic floor level, either externally or internally, but at least having a holistic approach um, you know, the breathing, abdominal wall, pelvic floor, whole body um, assessment. Um, you know, we, we spoke on strength and, and the whole idea of, of um, you know, you, you can't have too little or you shouldn't have too little exercise. You've got to have enough exercise. Um, we talked about whether diastasis and pelvic floor are related um, we talked about, what else have we done? We, we've talked about a lot of things. Are there anything else that you'd like to add in the little sum up? Elaine's been taking notes, so we're going to have great show notes. Uh, is there anything that you really wanted to hit home, Gronje?
2: Well, actually, when you were talking there about, yes, highlight, not to wait until you finish your family. What I want to make a point of, and I don't know whether you've found this as well, but any women who I've had, when they haven't finished the family, say they've had a significant diastasis, they've been on that journey, they've followed rehabilitation, they've taken the plunge because it's really fearful for them to go back into that, um, I suppose that uh, situation that I suppose caused them their diastasis in the first place. So to go back to a pregnancy, can be quite a fear-inducing thing too because they feel that they're going to undo all their their good work but I can hands down say that anyone who I've taken through rehabilitation never gets to to the same degree again and they recover quicker because they're informed and they know what to do and they know how to access help and so that's something that should be really empowering to anyone listening that it's not a case that you're going to undo it all or step back that actually you're stronger you're fitter you're actually going into that pregnancy in a better situation so
1: Fantastic.
0: I 100% agree with that. And I find my clients will say they recover so much faster second time around.
1: Yeah. Information is power, right? So just having somebody more informed is so much more helpful. Um, all right. Is there anything else to add?
0: Is Gronje still there? She's frozen on my screen. Oh, you I'm are. Here, right?
2: I'm sorry, I'm back. I, I froze. Yes, I'm back. Sorry.
1: Yeah. She was just pretending to be a, a preteen girl watching <laughs> movie Frozen, so. <laughs> Do
0: you have any closing remarks, Grigno? Uh
2: No, I would like to say thank you, um, Marika and Anthony, for the opportunity, because again, any sort of opportunity to give physiotherapy a voice and to highlight what we can offer and to get good, I suppose, evidence-informed information out there for the evidence that exists and hopefully in the future we will be adding to that and rika i'd love to hear what you'll be adding once you get this master's over you'll you get a wee bug for doing something too i know rightly Um what <laughs> i i want to keep in contact and hopefully i'm excited to be taking anthony's course when it comes to belfast um in february i am a wee bit interested and also a wee bit fearful of the fact that it may totally explode my head with what's happening in terms of diastasis and it may give me new elements but um we, we should we should read we should revisit this talk at some stage and discuss where i'm at now <laughs> i think we should
0: do this as an annual thing um yeah, yeah how
2: can
0: people find you if they're
2: okay, in well, Ireland? i am available via email to info at physio. i'm on social media twitter handles facebook handles and um, uh, absolute.physio and what Anthony found out and um, by default actually um, I also go under the alias Physio, so I've got social media pages of that so Anthony and I were discussing um, recently uh, a discussion <laughs> on social media I thought he knew that that was me that I had tagged him and asked a question and he was just there like I don't even know who that is and I was like that's me <laughs>
1: <So> <laughs> we, we were on a zoom call we we're on a Zoom call and we we're talking about diastasis stuff, and then she goes, Oh, I meant to get back to that post. And I'm like, Yeah, I don't know who physio is because it's me. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> so that's <laughs> a couple of hours out of um,
2: Belfast
1: uh, where are and you? Dublin. A
2: couple of hours out of Belfast? Yeah. Um, but basically, probably two hours from Belfast and two hours from Dublin. I'm quite um, central. I'm very borderline with Ireland, but I'm still in Northern Ireland.
0: Okay, cool. So, if anyone needs some um, treatment of their diocese and they're in Ireland or Northern Ireland mm-hmm. or Hit Scotland me. or England, anywhere, <laughs> or and do you do, the do the anything consult- online, do you like consults?
2: Uh, that's something we've actually been talking about starting here in our clinic. So, um, funny because I've seen the likes of, I don't know whether you do them, Marika, but I know Anthony does them. Um, that's, anyone who wants to contact for diastoids, just get in touch because I'm a huge uh, fan of even finding someone, a suitable therapist local to them, and helping them source someone who I know is informed um, or just giving them good information um, that may help them without even seeing them. So, uh, yeah, anyone who's in any way wanting to find out more about diastoids, don't be afraid to get in contact.
1: Well, thank you very much for being a part of the show. We will talk again, no doubt. Hey, and when I'm in Belfast, maybe we have to record something real quick and um, maybe you can record your thoughts with me and we'll try to get Marika on as well. And um, yeah, that, that should be fun. I'm looking forward to it actually. And um, yeah, maybe, 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 maybe you can bring a couple of real difficult ones so that the class can see it. That'll be really fun.
2: <laughs> yeah i'll have think with that I'll, I'll i'll see if we can access someone and get them up as a case study yeah definitely yeah
1: awesome well thank you very thank much you so and uh we'll chat soon bye
2: okay thank you guys bye bye
1: Well, that's it for this episode. Please be sure to hit like if you enjoyed this episode and leave any comments or questions below because we'd really love to hear from you.
0: If you haven't already hit subscribe, please do so now so that you can be kept notified of when we release a new episode.
1: Otherwise, thank you for listening and we look forward to having you back with us for another episode of the Women's Health Podcast.